Big bank, small bank, I like to make money. Sounds to me like you guys are come to bookies. Money never sleeps, pal. Look at what it means. This is why I'm saying, like, this is a lie that's been purported by Wall Street. The lowest rates, everything gets better all of a sudden. Uh, it just doesn't work that way. What about hard work? What about it? You work hard. Gods were like 30 to 1 against me. Yeah, I mean, there are very few people that from my neighborhood, you know, in my environment that make it out. Uh, I mean, forget about being to be successful, but make it out alive. Hey, welcome everyone to uh, the second episode of Trading Places. Um, I'm here. This is X, your host. I'm here with my guys, Rush. What's up? What's up? Rashid. What's going on? And Twan. What up? How you guys doing today, fellas? Um, crazy week in the markets. Crazy week in just everyday, you know, day-to-day life um, as we still are trying to cope with, you know, COVID and look ahead into what the world will look like. Post COVID, it was, a, and it's just another 3.8 million people filed for unemployment, um, which has led to um, even greater number of people without jobs. Um, or you know, what direction they're going to go if the, even if their job is going to come back. So, I uh, love to you know just get you guys' thoughts and you know gauge how you feel about what what we're seeing out there um, this week and in the coming weeks ahead. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we just got a continuation of what's been going on where you have a shutdown of the economy, more and more people, small businesses are out of jobs. And, you know, we're getting to the point where, you know, people are starting to protest um, for things to open back up. And, you know, it's really, really starting to affect people. We are, we are now at great depression levels of unemployment after just six weeks. Do you think we go on, um, what's his face, reopen the economy? I do. Uh, like how soon? I think it's going to vary state by state, but, mm-hmm. you know, um, in the states where people have rifles and they can go out there and protest with the rifles, I think the politicians in those states are, you know, feeling more pressure to go ahead and let them go back to work. I think people are forgetting there's a cost that reopening businesses as well, though. To me. So, like, uh, just like, how can I put this? Things such as, uh, you know, the cost of reopening business. I'm thinking about for like New Yorkers, for example. Let's say you have a private-owned business, right? The right. sanitation costs, which means like you're not paying for public um, garbage. You're, picking for, you're paying for private. There's also other costs for reopening businesses, um, such as, uh, we call it, dealing, dealing with uh, businesses outside of yourself. So, um, you gotta man. break this down for me. I, I, I feel like you going go with it. I just, I'm trying to grasp really the full, fully what you're trying to say right now. So like when you, when you close a business, right? I yeah. mean, when, when these businesses close, right? A lot of them had to close because they were forced to because of government needs, but like costs were still occurring. Okay. So there's a cost that happens once these businesses re reopen. Whatever business that is, like it could be any business. There's a right. cost involved with reopening those businesses. All right. Got you. So like what would they be paying? 
gosh, man. Like, it varies. It varies. Yeah, it varies by the business. All their fixed costs. Yeah. Oh, if, if but, they've been pay, but they've been paying that, haven't they? Not, not everyone. Okay. Um, right. for, so, like, for corporations, I'm sure some of them are doing that, um, especially when it comes to, like, their legal obligations. Yeah. But for, like, small businesses, a lot of them, like, they can't pay it. You know, like, this, they're literally generating zero revenue. Right. So, um, with that, like that's, that, that, that may mean some more businesses closing. Mm. Yeah. And I think what you're getting at is the demand side. Like, is there going to be demand once you start to open back the economy? Will customers come out and pay? No, that's a great point. I mean, um, just a couple of days ago, um, I forgot where I was reading that, where they were talking to a business owner in Georgia, you know, and Georgia is one of the, one of the 30, you know, some odd states that um, either are reopening um, or have plans to reopen in the next two weeks where the business owner said, you know, hey, we opened up for business and we only got two customers for the entire day. Right. <laughs> what business? <laughs> <laughs> um, I can't remember what, what kind of business. I, I, I want to say it was a, an apparel, an apparel store, but I think that's going to have ripple effects, um, you know, across the economy at large. I mean, we're seeing um, just, you know, as Rasheed said, like depression per meet throughout the country, you know, from California, you know, all the way up to, you know, New Hampshire, down, you know, down to Florida. And I think people are, you know, uh, justifiably, angered by the situation of having to you know be inside like nobody likes to feel as if they're forced inside but mm-hmm. right now we do not have a cure you know for COVID, right or you know a viable treatment plan obviously we're fast tracking a few of the drugs uh created by you know companies like uh gilead and then you have moderna you know who also has a potential uh candidate in the pipeline that enter into phase two uh trials but there's a lot there's a lot out there that are still unseen. Like if there's one thing for certain is everything is uncertain. Um, and when you, when you take a back, you know, when you take a step back and you just look at what's happening, we're seeing the biggest disconnect between main street and wall street. New Jersey is the second, one of the uh, second wealthiest state in the United States, I believe. Mm-hmm. Right. But they have really? food lines. Yeah. What? Yeah. In New York Times that talked about this, where what? they have Seriously? food lines that are stretching by the miles. Right. And I think that reaction from Rush is just, you know, as a New Yorker, just seeing in New Jersey, just how unequal things are. Right. Right. You would not know that was the second wealthiest state. I would not. What's the first? What, New York? Probably California. Cali? I wouldn't be surprised uh, if it's Cali. Yeah. Um, I'm not yeah. I'm not sure off the top yeah. of my head, but it, it, it try to make the internet. It 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 bothers me because for the simple fact that we see, you know, a copious amount of optimism in the markets, right? Where people are saying, you know, things are gonna return to normalcy rather quickly, right? That we'll be out of this, you know, sometime between mid May um in July. But there, <laughs> I'm not so sure about that, right? And I, I don't know about anyone else here, but I don't think that we're really going to turn to normalcy, and you know, no sooner than next summer, um, like no earlier than next summer. I, I'm just not seeing it right now. I'm sorry, I'm a little hurt, bro. New York is the 15th wealthiest state in the in the, in the nation. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you I got think, New York City and then the rest. Yeah, oh my! Yeah. I, th- I think a lot of people. That's when they facts. Think I didn't think of that. About the city, they're not thinking about the state as a whole. Yeah, that's facts. I didn't even think of it like that because Washington D.C. is first. Mm. Maryland, Maryland was second, and New Jersey's third. Well, well D.C. isn't a, a state. Yeah. I got, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's a district. They said it's a state of territory. That's my fault. Yeah, that's crazy. Okay, and that was by that was based off 2018 as well, right? Mm. Um, so you know, obviously these things change, but you, you have to realize mm. you have a lot of you know wealth you know wealth managers, um, and hedge funds, uh, PMs who stay in New Jersey who who may work in New York, but that's facts. <laughs> But they took the helicopter back home. So they paid the New Jersey state taxes. Yeah, popped the landing pad. There's also a lot of casinos in New Jersey, and there's a lot of pharmaceutical companies. Yes. Yeah. So. All right. So I I think we'll, in my personal opinion, we'll continue to see market volatility um, be impacted uh, for weeks to come, you know, I just don't, I just don't think it's going to go away. Right. After you have an economic downturn, that's followed by like this COVID crisis. It's just, I, I think there's too much optimism, um, you know, in the market right now, as it relates to, oh, we'll see, you know, a massive rebound in the third quarter of 2020, both here in the U S um, and worldwide and everything will return back to normal. Like while that may very well be a plausible scenario, Assuming that the lockdown and social distancing measures are soon to be relaxed and, you know, everything will just go away, you know, overnight, like with the magic wand. Uh, quite frankly, I think that's bullshit. <laughs> and it, it's part of the reason why uh, yesterday during, you know, Warren Buffett's uh, speech, you know, at the annual Berkshire conference, you know, he just said, Right now, we're still remaining on the, on the sidelines for the most part, right? We don't see any real attractive opportunities in the market, right? And this is this is coming from someone whose firm is sitting on a hundred, I believe, over a hundred billion dollars in cash right now. Yeah, let me get a piece. But <laughs> so when you see that, it, it's just I think the only real revelation that we we caught yesterday from that. Um, was that he has totally disgrossed and exited all of his positions in each airline, right? Because he does not see travel, you know, returning to normalcy anytime soon. And we've talked about this offline. We talked about this in the last episode where it's going to be a while before people start, you know, uh, feeling comfortable Mm -hmm. getting on a plane. I personally don't feel comfortable getting on a plane right now. So what does that look like, you know, for the one, you know, 12 to 24 month outlook for Companies such as like Southwest or, you know, JetBlue and, and Delta and the same way 9-11 changed travel forever here in America. I think COVID is mm. going to, you know, uh, usher in, you know, an evolution of travel. Once again, we've seen this week that JetBlue and Delta announced that every customer now has to have on a mask while traveling. That's exactly it's not even an option anymore. It's required. Right. So it's just, just something to think about. But you know, who's going to be traveling if we have, you know, if we're nearing 20% unemployment rates, 25% right. unemployment rates, you yeah. really don't have the discretionary income to do that. No, I think what you're getting at, it's, it's a couple of themes, you know, it's, you have a group of people, um, you know, in terms of consumers who never believed that this was real. And then you have another group who's scared to death right now. 
Mm. And I think what it really comes down to, the underlying theme is there's a lack of trust in general, um, you know, in institutions and in this administration in particular. And, you know, case in point of this is if you just rewind six weeks back with how coronavirus has been treated in this country, six weeks ago, they were saying, don't wear masks. And now That's a fact. It's, it's mandated on, on the airline. So if you're sitting there watching the evolution, hopefully people have memories long enough to remember six weeks ago where they told you not to wear masks. This is why a lot of people don't trust what's going on and why I don't think you can just restart the economy. Because people are scared of shit. I'd be curious to see like what that sentiment is like. If I mean, I, like obviously, there's probably no way to really measure it. But like, are there more people that are kind of like, oh, this isn't a real thing. COVID isn't real. Like, it's whatever. It's just a flu. Or is there more people that's like, I'm never leaving my house again. I mean, we see in popular media, um, just like this past week, we saw that bozo who is running about talking about cough on my face, <laughs> right? So you definitely have those people out there who think this shit is not real by any means. You know, it's fake, just, just like a unicorn. I mean, we've never seen it, so it's all bullshit. Let, you know, let me go out there in, in the world and live my life um, while you guys, you know, remain inside. Because I feel as if either I'm a healthy individual or this is just another case of germs. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to have my freedom, you know, giving my freedom back. We even seen protests in California, yeah. which is one of the most progressive states, uh, which I, 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 <laughs> I struggle to completely buy into that, uh, given that I've been a resident of California and mm-hmm. it's a lot of bullshit, especially, you know, Silicon Valley. But yeah, you, you have to argue with that in terms of progressivism, because uh, oh, yeah. I remember like, yeah, the cities are very progressive, but the state as a whole isn't like, When's the last time you guys had a, had a Democratic governor? California? Yeah. You guys mostly get Republican governors. That's a good point. Um, I mean, I'm no longer a resident in California, but I know Newsom um, is a Democrat. And then I can't remember <laughs> who, who sat on the throne before then. But no, that is a straight. I mean, we had, you know, the Terminator run the state for, for eight years. <laughs> So, oftentimes, exactly. Um, and we saw, you know, what happened there. But I, I just think when you start to see places like California start to take on the tone of like the South, you know, certain parts of the Southeast, well, give us our country back. Like, you know, you know, make, make, make our country great again. When you start to see things like that in places like Huntington Beach, uh, and these people are just, you know, fighting for their right to skateboard, I guess, um, or spend time on the sand. You know, tensions are running high. Tensions are running high, and it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. But I think in the, in, in the immediate term, and, you know, uh, we're going to see travel impacted mm. across the board, period. Um, and I, I think that extends beyond airlines. Do y'all think um, shelter-in-place should get lifted? Um, no. No, I, I don't. I think... Look, uh, it's a couple of selfish individuals that are out there that feel like their needs are worth more than the average citizen. And, you know, people are fighting with that. Like, those are the people that are out there protesting. Like, selfish people. What do you mean? 
they're not thinking about like you know uh people actually being affected by the virus or mm-hmm. if they can actually it. they don't care they want what they want you know but in some sense you know um uh, maybe that's the american way do you think there's more I, of a d- danger of uh, staying closed i do yeah, I, I don't think we should remain in shelter in place. I, I don't think we should just try to reopen and let everybody fend for themselves either, though. Um, I think there needs to be a plan because, listen, I mean, over the past six weeks, we've literally had 30 million unemployment claims. And the reason why you hear, you know, California is Californians, you know, coming to start to sound like the South is because you start to impact people's ability to eat. You know, most Americans don't even have $400 in their bank account for an emergency. Mm. So you take away their income, you know, after six weeks, people are really starting to think about, okay, how am I going to get food on the table? Mm. And, you know, people's opinions change when they're hungry. So I don't think this can continue much longer unless the government starts to subsidize people's incomes in a much, much more significant fashion. Um, but I also, you know, I do believe the virus is real and I do think there needs to be a real plan of thinking through, OK, how do we triage this thing? And we don't just let everybody back. Right. You know, you, you need to have a plan of, you know, we can we can do it in this phase. And these are the precautions we're going to t- take to keep people safe. Right. And, you know, there, there needs to be a plan. But I, the the likelihood of that happening. Right. <laughs> Here's my question. Number nine. Like, let's say we kind of do that in phases. Like, let's say you at home getting a check from the government versus the person that has to go out and work because their job is considered more essential. Like, do you see a potential tension starting there? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That's true. We're seeing, you know, um, essential workers, you know, voice their opinions on blogs, you know, in interviews about, you know, they like risking like their life. Right. I'm going out here to risk my life and I'm, I'm not getting anywhere near what people who are sitting at home, you know, mm-hmm. getting that's collecting a stimulus check, unemployment. Um, now, obviously, I believe those benefits uh, run out July 31st. Right. I think that that's where there's going to be a stop, you know, unless they're in the re <laughs> yeah, unless we see additional stimulus. Now we, you know, but that remains to be seen. Hey, Trump, write the check, bro. I think I'm trying to buy some Ethereum. <laughs> I think um, we're not going to really see how bad this shit is until the latter half of the year, right? When we get closer to fall. Um, mm. And I do worry about like the resurgence of a second wave that will force us right back into the house. So we seem, you know, we're already seeing in places like Georgia where cases are spiking. Really? Um, over the past couple of days, right? I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, so it it causes a little bit of hesitation on my end to just say, "Oh yeah, let's go, just go ahead," with, you know, with the reopening. But I don't know. The, I don't have all the answers. Yo, y'all but seen the lineup I, for the new Jays in Georgia? I saw that you yeah. put that in the group chat, bro. <laughs> right. That's what I'm saying. I feel like a lot. So is of Nike people- <laughs> is Nike going to come out of this? Uh, you know, this quarter, you know, as a as a surprise because we're start we're still seeing shoes sell out on the sneakers app. Right. We're still seeing people go crazy. You know, they're doing drops, um, in the middle of the Jordan documentary. And they're selling out. <laughs> so what, will this have an impact on, you know, large apparel companies? I, I think it remains to be seen, but I, I am more interested. You know, a lot, there was a lot of chatter and a lot of hype over Q2 earnings. I'm more interested in Q3 earnings. 
because I think that's when the truth is really going to start to come out. Because when you think about it, Q2 earnings, the impact really happened at what the last two, three weeks of mm. Q1, right? Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, Q2 earnings, um, my apologies. But yeah, we didn't see that much of an impact. But look at Amazon this past week, right? Bezos told people to sit down, right? We're actually in for some pain here. Really? Our costs are increasing. Right. That's crazy. You know and what I'd like to... My fault, there bro. There was like this belief that, oh, Amazon was just going to blow earnings out of the water. I was one of them, <laughs> right? <laughs> I was one of them. I thought, man, everybody's on a, ordering on Amazon. Every, you know, everywhere I go within, you know, uh, in my building, I see Amazon packages everywhere. But yeah. that's not the case. Well, well, that, well, there's a difference between, you know, growth and earnings. So they, they are growing the way you thought. But what's happening is they're they're basically just redeploying all of that capital into the business, all of that free cash flow. They're reinvesting all of that to take over the world at a faster rate. So I mean, they you know Amazon has basically continued the path that they've taken thus far of foregoing profits to continue to try to scale and get bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. So you know people were looking at them to start to you know take some of those gains and distribute them and. They said, no, we're going to take this opportunity to capture right. more market share. Yeah, they're probably going to end up buying a lot of small businesses. They should. No doubt. Advance and conquer. Yeah, I think it was rumors out there they were going to, um, you know, possibly buy Coles, you know, or Ross, but those are just rumors. So we're not uh, Amazon buy Ross? <laughs> yeah, I don't want to speculate too much on that because um, it was just rumors, but, it was, you know, it was something that was. I mean, they got a whole floor of Coles. Yeah. <laughs> they got a whole floor of Coles right now where you can return your stuff from Amazon. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Amazon taking over. I mean, places like Whole Foods and their distribution points for like Amazon products. When you walk into a Whole Foods, you know, they're not just selling food. They're in there, you know, selling um, Amazon Fire Sticks. You can also do returns to Amazon. You also have an Amazon Locker. If you want to pick up you know, a package, you know, and not have it shipped Bezos to your home, you can Bezos. go inside Whole Foods. So. <laughs> Bezos 2024. Right. So I, I, think, <laughs> I think Amazon in, a, in, a, in the long run will continue to be unstoppable. I, I just... I just don't see anyone. I don't know, man. Eventually, some president is going to have to put down their foot and break up that monopoly. I mean, typically that happens in the history of the U.S. Like, when you look at the Rockefeller and the Standard Oil, um, I think it was Theodore Roosevelt that broke up that monopoly. Mm. And later on with uh, Bill Gates and Microsoft, like, I forgot what president it was, but um, he ended up having to break up one one of Bill Gates' monopolies, so... I don't know. Something eventually is going to have to happen with Amazon in terms well, of their monopolies to, to make it so that they don't corner every market. <laughs> I mean, they're moving into pharmaceuticals. <laughs> yeah, PillPack. They, they bought PillPack. That's going to be disruptive to companies like CVS. Mm. You know, um, Walgreens Boots. Uh, yeah, they, they're, they're putting their hand in everything. But, you know, the counter argument to that is that a lot of people look at Amazon as the 21st century uh, version of Sears. And I don't recall Sears ever being broken up, you know, back when they were raining on top um, some 50, 60 years ago, you know, back when my great grandfather or, you know, my grandmother was going there to shop. So right. some people don't look at Amazon as monopoly, but they just see them as, you know, incredibly powerful. And I'm, and I'm not here to say that um, Sears was that powerful, right? But there was a time in our country where Sears was one of those behemoths. Right. 
this is like this is going um, kind of goes to something I'm thinking, bro. Like the one thing I would love to see out of this is like innovation. Cause I feel like we're, we're at a, a point in history where like the whole world got us back against the wall. Yeah. And, and the question is like, how do we innovate? How do we restructure? How do we pivot to overcome this? You know what I'm saying? Whether it is a country or the globe. Right. Um, like that's why I think it's important to ask those shelter in place questions yeah. or, um, those questions about the economy because we need like real solutions because it is not going away. You know what I'm saying? No, I agree. But I think this is more of a, uh, um, more of an issue to be solved by science, you know, rather than market manipulation. What you mean like a cure? Yeah. I think to restore confidence in the country, we need to see some type of, you know, vaccine. I believe it. Point blank period. I think it also highlights a lot of other things as well. We do need a vaccine for sure. Um, And in addition to that, you know, all of the data that all of us are looking at on COVID is wrong. Like there's not a piece of data. The deaths number is wrong. The case number is wrong. It it highlights, it highlights the lack of clear data in healthcare. Mm. It also highlights the fact that a lot of people in this industrial complex that we've built, are not leading healthy lifestyles. Right. So these are other things that need to be done to prevent stuff from like, like this from decimating the planet. Right. Because this isn't the last time we're going something like this going to happen. Truthfully. No. Shit, I hope so. <laughs> I mean. You know, it's forcing businesses to go digital like never yeah. before. Like small mom and pop shops that never had a website they got one now they got an instagram they got a facebook they got a twitter following <laughs> you have to. yeah you have to you have to, yo adapt or die right that's what i'm saying it's like yeah, old media versus new media a lot of old Sean podcasting you know um but you have to adapt or die because you have to find new ways to you know stay fresh because if you don't then you you know it's a dub <laughs> I, I, I like that. I like that. Adapt or die. Let's adapt or die. Let's, let's talk about the, in terms of the money part, though. I mean, we could talk. I mean, just look at. All right. If 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 you look at a lot of these industries, right, where once upon a time they were considered like the gold standard, uh, where most people like I would say common thinking was that we would never see someone disrupt a company like Ford. Mm-hmm. We would never see, you know, um, uh, any of the you know, major automakers like GM be disrupted, but we're witnessing it, right? Because we're now moving towards the electrification of transportation. Mm. And at first they were very resistant to the idea of a company like Tesla, Right. For many years, um, you know, I'm not here to be a Tesla bull or Tesla bear. I know that it's a cold stock and a lot of people out there have some very strong feelings about that. But at the end of the day, whether people like Elon Musk or not, he forced these motherfuckers to adapt because yeah. they had to. Well, they're trying. They're, they're failing miserably. Yeah. You know, um, and let's look at just even auto sales from the past month. They would, you know, they had plunged nearly 50% compared to a year ago because nobody is looking to buy a car. And who's being hurt the most by it are companies like Ford and GM. Right. And Ford is, you know, really deep trouble. 
I don't really, I mean, I love to hear you guys' thoughts. I don't see how they survive. Uh, the Fed <laughs> is going to allow them to continue to refinance their debt into perpetuity. That's JP. Happened. Yeah, so I mean, they'll continue to suck. But that's what we got to stop doing, bro. Like, we need to just that's rip the Band-Aid off. Capitalism. Huh? That's not capitalism. This it's is not. This, we're witnessing corporate socialism. Like, why the fuck are we bailing out companies that, and again, I know the argument is going to come up, well, what about those employees? Look, I'm very sensitive to that. But if we want the system to work as it is designed, some things must come to an end. I think if it's, it's bigger than the employees, running, though, bro. I'm sorry. No, That's no, break wrong. that down. What, what do you mean by that? Because, like, um, some of these corporations are so leveraged and they're so highly exposed to our markets that they become, I don't want to say too big to fail, but a lot more people than just the employees will be affected. If that makes sense. So like, yeah, motherfuckers um, portfolios. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and those portfolios are tied to 401ks, IRAs, pensions, you know what I'm saying? Like people's retirement accounts. I feel you. And, not, and I'm not, I'm not here to advocate but I, I, I for of people's wealth, I think but so, I am an bro. advocate of efficient capitalism. No, I'm, I'm with you though. Cause I think we need to do that. Cause I need, we, I think we need to innovate And the only like, per, like personally in my life, the only times that I've found like a, a new level in myself is when I, when my back has been against the wall. Right. And I think, and I think that that's something that we need, we need to just accept. Like I, we, we, we messed up. Let's rip the bandaid off and let's figure this thing out. Mm-hmm. 100% or, agree. Let's just continue to let these dealerships sell cars at 0% interest rates, which is fucking insane to me that we've reached you know, that point. <laughs> they probably about to go negative. <laughs> I'm going to get a refinance for a negative interest rate. Right, Y'all going right. to pay me. To That's pay crazy you. to me. These dealerships <laughs> are incredibly desperate right now. Um, these car you know, manufacturers, there's, it's, there's a bleak future that we're looking at here uh, for many of them. Uh, but... I don't have a position in any of these companies. Uh, it's not it's not attractive to me at all. Um, any of these companies, so I, I tend to stay on the sideline when it comes to you know things like auto manufacturers and you know airlines. But I think travel as a whole will continue to be impacted, whether it's by road, uh, air, you know, um, or rail. I, I'm just not seeing it. Now, as we kind of you know look ahead into other things that are happening in the country where you have like civil unrest that can potentially be looming due to things like meat shortages. Uh, we, we're seeing, we're seeing, exactly. We're seeing the supply chain, you know, uh, the global food supply chain break down right before our eyes. Um, Tyson, you know, has continued to shutter additional plants this past week, um, pork plants. And this could be a potential tailwind. Uh, for alternative meat producers like Beyond, but I think this is scary. And I think there should be more paid attention to here, you know, as it relates where grocery stores are now starting to restrict, you know, the uh, number, uh, the quantity of meat products that you can buy. So if wow. this sparks a full really? panic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was, I was literally just um, in a supermarket a couple of days ago, and they told me I can only purchase two, you know, two packs of boneless, skinless chicken breasts. 
I can, you know, if, if I wanted to, you know, just throw 10 in the basket, they was going to send me right back to the aisle to put, you know, <laughs> put eight of them back. So um, when I start plan. to see shit like that, that's pretty scary because the last time I saw that was when they started to restrict um, the purchasing of toilet paper. Yeah. So if people start panic buying meat the same way they were panic buying toilet paper and all types of other shit eight weeks ago. What does that, you know, spell for the well-being um, physically, <laughs> you know, of a lot of people who are in need where they rely on cheap meat to, you know, survive? What, you know, and could this potentially uh, lead to civil unrest, given that we're seeing food insecurity intensified, uh, similar to places like Venezuela? We just gotta go. We are. We gotta go in a rice and tuna diet, bro. <laughs> Oodles and noodles. Rice and tuna. <laughs> I mean, spam. We, <laughs> we could go that route, but <laughs> now just playing, bro. No, no, I know, I know, but um, I am a little bit concerned there, right? I mean, because there are certain parts of the country that have dealt with food insecurity in their entire life, right? To them, it's just another day, <laughs> you know, trying to be able to, mm -hmm. you know, stretch out, you know, multiple meals or, or a few meals over the course of the week and not knowing where your next meal coming from. But I think there are other there are other classes in America that hasn't dealt with that. Right. They haven't had a front row seat to what that looks like. Mm -hmm. And they may lose their damn mind if we, you know, in certain parts of the country. And I, I don't want to name which which parts of the country, but there are certain parts of, the, of this country that I know if pork runs out. It's quiet. I expect to see a riot. <laughs> Seriously, I, I honestly expect to see a riot. Um, and we're seeing that workers at these plants are working in, you know, I don't want to say in decent conditions, but somewhat shaky conditions. And they're catching COVID, <laughs> right? I think there was one plant that got reported where 900 workers tested positive. Uh, for COVID-19 and they have the you know, virus. So let, let's say they account for the majority of the workforce at that plant. That's one plant, that's one less plant that's in the, you know, in the marketplace that can produce meat. Now let's say that that starts to multiply all across the country and that reaches, you know, to some of their largest plants then how are you able to get food to people? How are you able to get food to restaurants that are, you know, serving people who may not have the uh, bandwidth to cook? So, you know, they're going to places like McDonald's. Um, I think it creates somewhat of a bottleneck. What, For sure. I mean, what do you guys sure. think? I mean, I think, I think you're absolutely right. And we, we may not get to the point where those cases explode because the, um, you know, the, the people who work in the meatpacking industry, um and you know just that preparation they're unionized it's the united food and commercials workers and you know i saw a quote the other day from from a person you know he was 59 year old guy who said you know if you send me back to work i won't be alive to work wow. so people who you know and this is this is one of the you know leading representatives of this union so the union is saying you know these conditions aren't safe you know like you said this plan has 900 cases or and you know, people are they're they're refusing to go back. That's crazy. That's very true. 
I mean, shit, how do you get meat to uh, food banks, right? Um, <laughs> what does that look like? Because these food banks are begging, you know, to have food, to be able to serve people in places like New Jersey, where more than 40% of the households in New Jersey, at least one person is out of work because of the pandemic. Not and, innovate, they probably, bro. and they probably have only so many uh, savings, you know, uh, you know, so much money tucked away under the mattress or in a bank account or in a 401k. Uh, that starts to dwindle over time. And once that, you know, hits, you know, danger, danger levels, then it's, how do you it's been there? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been at danger levels. Yeah, the inequality true. in this country is absurd. And right. it's been absurd and it's been getting more and more absurd by the day. So, I mean, we're already at danger levels. That's why after six weeks, people are protesting. Not even six weeks. We started, people started protesting three weeks ago. So three weeks of shutting down businesses, stopping income, people are like, let me the fuck back outside. I need food for my family. Yeah. That's where we are. I don't know. I feel like. It's worse for certain people because they're not used to being restricted in terms of their privileges. Um, for many Americans, they are living with restricted privileges. They don't have the same, yes, they have the same rights legally as everyone else, but they can't exercise it in the same way. Um, for those that are out in the street protesting, they're upset. They're like a children, a child having a temper tantrum. Like, it's, to me, it's no difference. It's because they feel like, you know, their privileges, their rights are being taken away. When, when in actuality, it's to protect the rights of all. What do you mean? Like, the safety of everybody? People's safety. Yeah. I think you definitely have that group of people who um, feel like their privileges are being infringed upon. But I don't want it to get lost just how unequal things are in this country and how many people are actually living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. So, you know, while that is true, yes, there are some people who are whining, spoiled brats. There are also people who literally rely on every single hour that they work just to scrape by enough to right. feed their family. Right. Right. That, and that just goes back to you know, I, I just don't understand the optimism that we're seeing in the market, but due to like the, the, the warnings that we're getting of these potential, you know, meat shortages in the United States where it's leading to food processing plants closures, it's causing somewhat of a boom um, in Beyond Meat. And I believe the week before uh, um, this past week, you know, the stock has soared more than 40%, which is a little bit crazy, a little bit abnormal, um, in my personal opinion. Now, obviously, I've I've flip flopped a little, you know, a little bit on my position on Beyond Meat. Um, you know, many weeks, I was just like, I just don't fucking get it, right? Uh, you have other interest, you know, potential interest in, into the market. Uh, you know, you have Impossible Foods, but you also have companies like Tyson who can easily enter into this space, um, and other companies now. I've kind of had a little bit of a change of heart. Uh, I've been seeing stores and I've been talking to people in stores and they're saying, hey, actually Beyond Meat is selling out. Uh, people are buying our patties. Now, how the fuck people are affording 
um, nine dollar uh, <laughs> <laughs> packs of two Beyond Meat patties in this economy. I, I don't get it. I don't get, get it. Two. Yeah, but I'd be interested to like Man, really you see get, like four of them things. You get oh, the wow. little, yeah, yeah. I'd be interested to see Benji. what I'm their earnings look like. Um, sell more if they're wick approved. If they're what? I didn't even think about that. They're wick approved because it's like I think with uh, food stamps and stuff. Sometimes oh yeah, thanks, thanks. List of foods. So if that is a one a part of one of those foods that is approved. Like it's more because you know poor people, no. they need to have you know their protein as well, just like everyone else. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't even think about that. I, I just you know we're witnessing, and I don't know if there's ever been a time, um, at least not in my in our lifetime, but I don't know if there's ever been a time in the country where we're starting to see widespread shutdowns and closures of like beef, pork, and poultry facilities across the country. I don't know if we've ever witnessed anything like this. Uh, but yeah, if they start to be able to, you know, you have government cheese, you know, that was like a popular phrase growing up all the time. Or, or you know, you got government cheese in your, in your fridge. Uh, now you got government plant-based meat, <laughs> you know, in your fridge. That's what I was saying. I don't know if in my food stamp budget, I'm buying Tyson um, Beyond Meat. Right. Yeah, I, I just don't see it happening. That's a big but, chunk. But, you know, Beyond has earnings coming up. Um, this week. So that's something to keep an eye out on to really see, okay, where are things headed for that company? You know, have they experienced, you know, just unprecedented buying and, you know, purchasing of their products? Cause they got things like sausages. They got things like patties. Um, I think, I think they make like deli meat. Uh, they got, you know, beyond has a lot of shit that I was unaware of. Mm-hmm. Um, in their in their product portfolio, <laughs> but we'll see, we'll we'll see what happens. Uh, they ain't got chitlins though. Ernest, oh my! Nah, they ain't got the chitlins. <laughs> they ain't got chitlins. Don't got the plant based chitlins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in the summer twenty twenty one. Yo man, let me tell you something. Beyond Meat drops plant based chitlins. Right. Yo, yo, what does that even smell like? Same thing the non-plant based. I don't know. I don't know. They can keep that though. I need plant-based chitlins and pig feet. <laughs> they need to hire me, marketing and branding, rush and hotel. Nah. Come see me. Maybe like five years ago I went to a <laughs> vegan Thanksgiving. Oh, you did? <laughs> oh man. It was like a vegan turkey, it was vegan collard greens. Oh, I can't oh, do man. that. I was just so <laughs> you know? I was disgusted. Um, well, I mean, but as an investor, in yeah, I mean, look, five years ago, I think there was still like this um, stigma that has surrounded, you know, me eat, um, uh, vegan uh, based lifestyles, vegetarian lifestyles. I think that thinking has evolved and that stigma has gone away. Mm-hmm. So I can understand why an investor can be betting on consumers. Um, potentially buying more plant-based proteins like burgers and sausages in 2020 compared to like 2014. Mm-hmm. Especially after this epidemic because people are going to want to be healthy. So, right. You know, be like, and if you, if you can't find your, patty. your famous, you know, your infamous pork chop or, you know what I'm saying? Your, your beef patty at your local supermarket, then what are you going to turn to? What are you eating at point? Yeah. Beyond me need to step up the uh, marketing budget. There we go. Yeah. I mean, I know they have uh, existing pilots in place um, with McDonald's in Canada, you know, and 
in McDonald's earnings call or the CEO had a call, I think this past week, he was talking about how, you know, they're saying some, some promising signs for their PLT burgers. Uh, <laughs> not BLT, but PLT. So there may be some opportunities for Beyond to further penetrate uh, the fast casual space and the fast food space as they deliver more plant-based alternatives. You know, mm-hmm. for breakfast, I know they have a, a relationship in place with uh, companies like Dunkin' Donuts. Um, and then Starbucks had announced, you know, recently that it was adding three Beyond Meat dishes to its menu in China. Mm. So... I wouldn't sleep. I wouldn't sleep on them by any means. Um, and I wouldn't sleep on any other company that's going to be entering into this space and going public um, in the coming years because it is something to consider or think about. All right, so crypto this week, man. Uh, shit got moving again. And we've seen some very interesting developments in this space. You know, from Ethereum, uh, people are anticipating, you know, the launch of Ethereum 2.0. We also have, you know, a pretty significant event uh, with the Bitcoin happening, mm-hmm. coming in about, I think, nine days or eight days. There's a lot of activity that we're seeing here. And uh, the asset class, you know, as a whole, uh, you know, saw some great positive movements in, in on Thursday, 20% mm-hmm. day, right? Um, obviously, I'm incredibly excited about certain projects in the space. I continue to be a huge believer in things like Ethereum and like Monero, but would love to get your thoughts on it because I know we were all paying attention to it this week. That thing percolating. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> I think the only thing that can hold Bitcoin back at this point is the overall market. Um, you know, we'll we'll see if we get a sell off this week um, in the market, and you know, see if crypto follows. Or if it decouples, um, I think this is a really, really key week um, to be paying attention to. Yes. You know, X, you said something happened with Ripple this week, but I can't remember what exactly we was talking about. Oh man, um, the founder of Ripple has sold <laughs> on average 1.8 million of Ripple each. Sold on average 1.8 million worth of Ripple each day in the month of April. You're just dumping it. Sweet. Just dumping it. I don't know about you. That's conviction. That <laughs> That's conviction, conviction right to there. get the fuck up out of there. Uh, just because the last time we saw that, you know, was with like Litecoin. Um, I, I find it hard to have sustained confidence in a project where the founder is dumping that much every single day. Yeah, don't right? buy Ripple. And I, yeah, I call it Cripple around this part. <laughs> Been calling it a cripple for years. Um, but yeah, that was something else that had popped up on the radar that I thought was like pretty interesting. Like, hmm, just one of those things that make you, you know, say, hmm. But with Ethereum 2.0 around the corner, I think it's serving as like the perfect bull market catalyst, um, you know, for Ethereum as just, just as a whole. But I think. The power of, I believe the power of Ethereum is this, that it's twofold. It's one, you know, it's a network, right? Like a platform that makes it incredibly powerful, but it can also function, uh, you know, as money as well. And I think listeners probably are still a little bit confused as to how crypto works or why it matters. Mm-hmm. Um, 
some people take the position of, well, you know, you're hedging against hyperinflation, which is the, you know, a very real threat that we're seeing here because the fears continue to mount, continue to mount um, each week about inflation returning, you know, um, just with the vengeance. And so when, when you think about that, a lot of people are now starting to find capital flight to, you know, are looking to uh, other asset classes and alternative asset classes, you know, such as gold, such as crypto. Um, but I would love to really hear, you know, how you guys view crypto and why it matters to you personally and why you believe in it or don't believe in it. Yeah, I mean, I think that crypto is an alternative monetary system to the one that we have today. So in, in the current system, and when I say monetary system, I mean system of generating and managing money supply. So, so the system that we have today is controlled by central bankers. You know, they determine interest rates and, you know, by in, in turn, they control inflation and unemployment. And, you know, we, we basically take their word that they're using their power to manipulate the price of money for the betterment of everyone else, you know, and, and for the betterment of society. And I think if you look around, you know, what's been happening since we've come off the gold standard in 71, inequality has been, you know, growing rampant. And if you look at what happened in the bailouts coming out of 08, it's very clear that the way that the money that's being created is being distributed is not equal. Mm. And, you know, this is just another, you know, the bailouts coming out of COVID just another example of showing what can happen with a centralized monetary system. Mm. The thing, the thing with the thing with Bitcoin and crypto in general is it's using the technology of cryptography, which is a way of encrypting data for security over the, you know, over the internet and then blockchain technology, which is distributed ledger technology. And what that basically means is that we're creating a network for the monetary system where people have to come together and form a consensus. So if Russia and I do a transaction and X is a minor, X is a third party that can confirm or deny whether or not the transaction that had between, happened between Rush and I was valid and can confirm that it happened. And then he logs that on a public blockchain that everyone that's participating in the system can then look at. And I think that's just better. But then you have people who, I mean, what do you say to people who continue to believe that, you know, Bitcoin is a scam or is worthless and the only true alternative asset class to seek out um, during times of potential hyperinflation or, uh, you know, macroeconomic chaos and collapse is something like gold? Man, you should always get gold, bro. I feel like my man Robert Kiyosaki said it the best. Gold is God's money and crypto is the people's money. Mm. So I don't think it's like an all or nothing proposition, but gold is to the I test. I agree. Yeah, gold is to the test of time as far as currency cycles right. and, and, the end, and what the end result of hyperinflation is. So I think that people should be invested in both because there's a ton of upside with crypto but gold is going to be here before us and it's going to be here after us. Mm -hmm. And it's always going to hold intrinsic value. 
I mean, it's right. been it's been around for five thousand years, right? Yeah, bro. Jesus uh-huh. had gold. <laughs> but yo, I don't you know. You can fact you check. No, that's true. That's, yeah. that's true. I mean, that's yeah. undeniable. But <laughs> we are we, we could be very well looking at the failure um, of the very system of like money, you know, and what that means, right? Like there are certain parts. Uh, of the you know financial architecture that are starting to break down, right? The cracks are starting to show, and when you add that into the mix, I think it lends credibility to as why one should explore um, or take you know a, a deeper look at something like crypto. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I was really getting at was just that you have some people who are just gold maximalists, right? Mm-hmm. Who are just saying it's gold or nothing. But I, I do think you know, uh, it would behoove most people to, you know, have a little bit of both, right? And and, I, and obviously, I'm not here to advocate how anyone should structure their portfolio. Um, everyone has to manage their own risk and portfolio size and, you know, do your own research there. But um, my belief is that there should be at least 1% allocation, you know, of your entire portfolio towards crypto, right? Just in case. Um, and now there are other projects that I believe in that don't, you know, form as functioning as money. I continue to believe in uh, things like digital real estate. I know that was something that you were mind blown, you know, by uh, Rush when I first, yeah, you know, like, uh, there are people actually flipping digital plots of land online for thousands of dollars, right? Which is crazy. But this goes back to the power of Ethereum because that is built on top of the Ethereum network. Hmm which further strengthens, you know, um, the bullish, you know, the, bu- the bullish tone that a lot of people in the market, in the crypto marketplace have towards something like Ethereum, right? I've talked to friends who were 100% in Bitcoin a couple of years ago, who are now shifted to 100% Ethereum. Really? Yeah. That's something, you know. Like their whole, whole portfolio is just straight up. Entire portfolio. Are they tripping? Yeah, they're tripping. <laughs> I, um, and, these are, and these are people. These are people who who invested in Bitcoin early. I'm talking at 2012. Yeah, yeah. No, still, it's a lot of risk with everything. Um, and I think there's some of the risk with Ethereum is that there's a lot of pressure. Um, they have secured a lot of the network effects. I think in terms of with the engineers on their platform. However, in terms of the way that they're built. So without getting too technical, um, Ethereum is built on Solidity, which is a programming language that allows for a lot of creativity, which is why you can have these network effects where you build apps on top of them. And that that's great in terms of stimulating growth and innovation. But the downside to that is it makes the network less secure because you can do all types of things that you couldn't, you know, that you can't even imagine. Right. So the biggest risk to Ethereum right now is in the rollout of ETH 2.0, everything going properly. Because if there, if there are bugs in the code or something gets hacked or, you know, where they have a really, really big malfunction somewhere along that, that ecosystem, that is a huge risk. So it's really important that they get it right. And I do believe that they will. They have a lot of smart people working on this and, you know, they've been working on it since 2016. Um, but I think that's what was taking so long is you cannot afford to get this wrong. If you get it wrong, it goes to zero. 
I'm about to get my stop loss. I mean, all of this can go to zero. Right? It's incredibly risky asset class. It's speculative. Hey, gold can't though. And Bitcoin think- is less likely. Bitcoin is very is very simplistic. Bitcoin is made to be easy. This is not a network. I mean, it's a network, but it's not on the same type of programming language. It's a very simple code base. So I know you say easy, but I don't think I, I believe, particularly for all people, um, it hasn't been made easy enough. There, there hasn't been um, these like frictionless on ramps to cryptocurrency, which is why a lot of people still have been standoffish to it or, you know, just don't understand it and don't bother to understand it because the simple fact is that my grandmother, it's not simple enough for my grandmother to use. Right. But my grandmother uses tools like WhatsApp, right? <laughs> so uh, when, I, when I think about that, I'm like, okay, until we get it to that point, then we still got some work to do. Absolutely. Um, I think our people struggle with putting our money in assets, period. Right. Oh, of course. You know what I'm saying? I, I think that's the well, biggest thing. We've, we've, we've flowed majority of our capital into low-risk assets, such as like real estate. Right. Yeah, which isn't bad, a bad idea. But. And that was, yeah, and that's not a bad idea, right? You can yeah. make money across all asset classes, but historically, we have stayed away from the markets, right? right? Historically, we have, you know, and it's only been around for 10 years, we have stayed away from crypto. But if there's anyone who should be more interested in cryptocurrency, it should be us, given that there are banks who will not lend to us. Mm-hmm. So the idea of something like decentralized finance can be incredibly significant for our communities because we can now start to open up a lot of credit for a business hmm, or right. you know, get, a, you know, get a lot of credit where it's lended against cryptocurrency um, for things like a, like a home, right? right? Or commercial real estate and beyond. Yeah. And, and going just, just touching on what you were saying um, just a couple of sentences ago, um, where you know you're saying that your your grandparents aren't able to use crypto and I, I think that's an extremely valid point because right now we're at a point where only one percent of the global population has even ever owned any crypto whatsoever and that's just absolutely too small um yeah. way too small yeah and, and and what needs to happen is there needs to be an education process and they need to make it a lot more u- user-friendly so that more people can participate because the real value in things like Bitcoin is social acceptance and social consensus. And what you need is you need more people to participate and you need more people to care mm-hmm. so that it's harder to shut down. The, the more people that get involved in crypto and own a little bit, it makes it that much harder to stop it because then stopping it becomes extremely unpopular. So, you know, we need a, we need people to understand that crypto or, or Bitcoin is a fixed inflation based protocol that's based on math. So right now, 12.5 Bitcoins are produced every block and every block comes out every 10 minutes. So in a year, about 300 and I think 20,000 Bitcoin are produced in nine days. That production is going to be cut in half. So it'll be about 166,000 Bitcoin produced. And every four years, it'll keep going, you know, in that cycle. But it, everyone knows that. And, you know, it's no, no one can come in and say, oh, 
Ford's not doing well. We're going to make more Bitcoin. Right. So if you have if you have more people that understand that and understand the fact that the system that we currently have, where we allow more dollars to be printed because Ford's not doing well, if they understand how that negatively affects them, hopefully we can get more people to opt out of that system and grow the power of the Bitcoin network. Thanks. And it starts with us. Right. And it does. I 100% agree with that. You, you know what's also crazy? A crazy ass story that I came across uh, a couple of days ago. I get a notification on my Bloomberg app that Iran is hauling gold bars out of Venezuela. Right? <laughs> Give me that. Jets. They're sending jets to go pick it up, um, which is crazy to me. Right? So it, it also just goes to show how difficult it is to. Um, establish those transportation networks and logistics during a time of a pandemic where a lot of these gold bars are uh, normally transported on commercial flights. But most commercial flights around the world have come to a halt. So now they're, they're, they have to get creative and figure out ways that they can move around tons of gold. So they have to send private jets to go pick it up, right? And that's just a difficult task at hand because, you know, just imagine you having to load up gold bars, you know, put it, you know, put them on board with something like crypto. If you have a cold storage wallet, um, like nano ledger, cut the check. Uh, but if you have something like, you know, a nano ledger where you can store, uh, your assets and it's a size, you know, it's the size of your thumb, you can move around, you know, a little bit more, or a little bit more flexibility. Um, and if you, and if you're in a country or somewhere like Venezuela, where they have restricted capital flight and they could just catch you at the border or, you know, as you're boarding a plane, say, you know, give me that gold bar. Like that is the power of something like cryptocurrency because you can't just send a gold bar over the internet. (laughs) Right. Right. These are precious metals that do have value, but I think a lot of people need to understand. um, and, And Rashid made this point last week where he was just like, up until, you know, now, you know, re- you know, in the past 10 years, we never really had the technology for something to compete with gold. So the infrastructure had to, you know, arrive. And here we are now in that place. And I, I think crypto will continue to be here long after we're gone. Um, I think it's important. Uh, it's going to be, it's going to have a heightened importance as time goes on. And I just, I would hope that a lot of people wake up, even if you don't put a single penny in it, at least educate yourself. I think that's the most important thing. For sure, for sure. And for something like um, Monero, uh, (laughs) uh, which somewhat functions as a, it's cash, close, you know, use the cash. Because I hate the fucking argument that people make when they say, oh, well, you know, cryptocurrency is used for crime. Cryptocurrency, you know, is used you know, for illicit activities. What the fuck do you think USD is used for? Yeah, I mean, people, people saying that, this, you're just talking about adoption curves right now. Because yeah. if you think back, if we rewind back to the 90s, people were saying the same thing about email. You know, email and the internet. It's, oh, it's too much porn. Why would I, why would I even use this email? It's, it's porn and scams and they want to run my credit card. They want to steal from me. So 
every time you have something innovative happen, you know, you have early adopters and that's where we are in the crypto space. But then as you, you know, you gain the network, you know, you, you gain a significant threshold of people and it continue and the idea continues to expand more and more people latch on and being in crypto early. This is why you're able to get these outsized returns. You know, I was, uh, I was having a conversation with my grandmother the other day and I, I couldn't believe I was having this conversation. And she was telling me that, you know, I, I'm thinking about getting a laptop. And I said, why? And she, she told me that, you know, being in the house, her and my grandfather, you know, about to be 80 years old, are fighting over the desktop because they want to be on the internet. And 15 years ago, we didn't even have a desktop in the house. So, you know, er, you have early adopters and then it gets to people who are middle age and then it gets to the older crowd. But that stuff takes time and the value of it goes up exponentially over that period. Right. I agree. I, agree. I mean, definitely 25 years ago, a lot of people probably didn't see the Internet turning into what it turned into. Um, and I think we're still in the, we're in the very early beginnings of crypto. We're like in the second inning. In my, in, in my opinion, like second or you know third inning, for sure. and it will continue to evolve over time. But the reason why I'm so passionate about it is because often our people have arrived too late, mm-hmm. rather than being earlier stuff. The technological re- revolution, like you know, mobile computing and mobile apps, you know, swept the nation ten years ago, and we didn't show up until it was too late. Right. This is something that we can still get out ahead of that. We can really, you know, put, plant our flag in the industry and offer our fresh perspectives or figure out ways to bank the unbanked. Right. And get them access to, you know, uh, you know, liquidities or, you know, savings, you know, th- do things like staking, um, mm. which we'll talk about a little bit more, um, you know, in another episode. But right. there, there are more ways to generate uh, capital, um, you know, for your personal balance sheet in cryptocurrency, you don't just have to buy and hold, you know, and sell at a higher price. There right. are other ways to make money, right? You could be, you could trade Bitcoin futures, um, and options in the cryptocurrency space and Binance Sorry. is doing let's, a lot of things in this space. Yeah. Let's, let's talk a little bit about the upside in crypto. So people really can get a, a good grasp of this. It's, and I'll use Bitcoin now for simplicity. Okay. Um, but it's only going to be 21 million Bitcoin. That, that's the number. And the last Bitcoin will be produced in 2140. There's a schedule every four years of these Bitcoin being produced. And today we have 18 million in circulation out of the 21 million. So I want to set expectations. This is not financial advice. A lot of people go into Bitcoin or crypto hoping that it goes up. And I think that's the wrong approach. Um, the The true upside in crypto is currently the market cap or the total value is about $200 billion. If something happens with our monetary system, we have $250 trillion of global debt Damn. that will have to rebase in some sort of terms. The gold market is $15 trillion. So 
if if something happens or something breaks in fiat currency, which is history tells us all fiat act absolutely goes to zero. Yeah, it's, it's only a matter of time. Then there's $250 trillion of debt that has to go somewhere. And today the gold market is 15 trillion and people are expecting this to double and triple. So in that world, why can't crypto be worth $5 trillion? If that happens, that's 25 times what it is today. Right. And what if are it we becomes seeing, $10 trillion, that's 50 times what it is today. Hmm. So astronomical opportunities um, here. And, and I, I think smart money is realizing that, you know, um, we're seeing a lot of institutional money starting to flow into these different assets, you know, uh, crypto assets, uh, which even surprised the hell out of me. You know, not to say that I didn't believe there was any type of institutional activity. Clearly, there's been, you know, some activity there for the past two, three years now. But reading that Grayscale report really opened up my eyes. Um, and now we're starting to see, you know, companies like Fidelity, you know, Fidelity, oh, excuse me. Fidelity. Uh, yeah, Fidelity. Uh, yeah. I can't Fidelity. talk sometimes too. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know, advocate, you know, getting their clients into crypto and exposing them to the asset class. So that that's when I really started to pay attention even more. Right. And Andreessen yeah. Horowitz. Andreessen Horowitz you know, switching from a traditional venture capital firm. And I think now they're a strategic investment advisor. And a big reason part of that is so they can have more exposure to cryptocurrency. Right. $515 million fund they just raised this week. This week. Well, it was probably raised before, but it was announced this week. But people need to pay attention to things like that. The smart money's moving. And you got to realize it's... And Treason Horowitz includes... Mark Andreessen, right. who founded, um, was it Mosaic? Yeah, yeah, 93. He, Mosaic was the first web browser, and he was one of the co-founders. So he was out in front of the internet. You know, we just talked about this curve of adoption. Exactly. He clearly gets it. He gets it. And he wrote, like, a great piece many, many years ago. Um, I think it was in 2014, where he wrote about why Bitcoin matters. So for anybody that's out there who may still be looking to learn a little bit more and educate yourself, Google Mark Andreessen, why Bitcoin matters. It'll definitely open up your eyes a little bit more. Uh, all right, gentlemen, you know, as we uh, look just to you know, close out, what's, what's in your watch list uh, for this upcoming week in the market? Say so scientific games, uh, casinos reporting this week. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody's going to the casinos. They're struggling with their balance sheets. They've been furloughing workers left and right. Um, and, you know, Scientific Games is a lottery company and casino company. And I, I just don't see how they have the cash to survive. Going bankrupt, buying puts, going to zero. Damn. Zero. That's like your bold prediction. Like, <laughs> they're going straight to a donut hole. Straight to zero. Don't collect $200. <laughs> um, for me, beyond... You know, I'm really interested in understanding what their what their earnings report will look like. Um, I want to hear more um, on Beyond Meat, uh, Walmart. I know the uh, consumer retail stocks got pretty hit, got hit pretty hard last week. Walmart and Target. So interested in seeing if you know they'll bounce back. Uh, hard to say if I take on any new positions this week. Um, I, I need to see something 
really attractive for me to jump into it. But, you know, as you mentioned with scientific games and the casinos, I definitely uh, believe that some of these casino stocks are incredibly overvalued. Uh, companies like Penn, I just don't fucking see it for them. Um, that's another company I don't see, you know, how they survive. So I'm paying attention to them, uh, given that we got, you know, upcoming earnings on the casino stocks this week. And then also very curious about what the market reaction is going to be to Warren Buffett comments about the airlines. That's right. So we, we may see, um, you, what, what did he say specifically? He's out. He's out. He's out. <laughs> he, he did, all he had to say is I own zero airline stocks and he had like 9% stakes in a lot of them. Wow. Like, yeah. He was just at like 10% of the companies. He's been selling like, like all of it. Like, I'm done. He's divested from all of his positions in the airlines. So what type of message is that sent to the market? You know, will they, you know, start to liquidate, right? And part the, look to part their capital elsewhere because, you know, let's face it, Warren Buffett has looked like a god. He's the, you know, what do they call him? The oracle um, in the investing world. So I'm interested to see what happens there. But, yeah, that's pretty much it for me um, this week, you know, going I'm looking into- at SPY, bro. Why is that? I think this week gonna get ugly <laughs> for a number of technical reasons. Talk about it. Yeah. Um, well, no one has a chart in front of them, but we obviously we had that um, reaction off the downward impulse from the coronavirus, so everything sold off. Right. Um, we had that brief recovery. That's what I mean by a reaction. Um, bounce back. <laughs> it looked like. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like I kind of said the last time we had a podcast, I said the, the volume on that really was dissipating. And then um, this past week on the weekly. Right. So the for anyone that's a technical trader, the higher the time frame. Right. Um, and the, on the higher time frames, price action becomes that much more significant. Um, you had was a pin bar false breakout of a key level in the market. And basically what happened was that um, buyers entered the market, bid the price way up, and through the course of the week, it just got slammed right back down. Yeah. And um, typically when that happens that fast, especially over the course of a, a whole trading week, that change that for sentiment to change that quickly right. um, usually precipitates further downward movement. So, unless JP got, you know, he, he gonna pull a, um, I don't know, some out his hat. They said they have <laughs> unlimited money. Unlimited yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yo, but we gotta pay taxes, though. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out JP. Money yeah. I don't know what's going on. I mean, and, and that's the risk with trading. So, like, literally, every event in the market is inherently random. Because, literally... It only takes one person to to affect change in the market, but given history, um, given the fundamentals, right. and given the technicals, um, you have an, a, a a heavy confluence of events that speak to the probability of the market selling off. Um, See, man, you know, it's hard to against the Fed. It's hard to trade against the fucking Fed and and that print, you know, uh, that that money printer that JP, aka Jerome Powell, aka Jerome in the house, got over there, man. 
I mean, oh. the market sold off before, though, so it can sell off again. Oh yeah, it's of happening. course. But they're yeah, doing you know what I'm saying. Everything they can to keep this shit afloat. Yeah. Right. So as even as the market is, you know, somewhat rallied back, it, it always it almost seems as if like Trump um, and folks and his admin, are, they don't want to accept anything else, you know, anything less than the new highs in the market. Right. But at the same time, our entire global economy has fucking changed forever. Yeah. Like this isn't just like some temporary event. You know where? Oh, okay. This just happened one or two days, like something like, you know, something like Hurricane Katrina, right? Uh, where you know everything will be back, and some of those people still haven't bounced back. But that's another conversation. But no, COVID will change the way we live, the way we you know go you know enjoy and consume entertainment. I mean, it's changed how I even bring in groceries, you know, from the store. Like obviously, I'm using. Um, um, these platforms like Instacart, more but every time groceries delivered, look, I'm spraying, I'm spraying them shits down, <laughs> <laughs> sanitizer on them. Um, it's just changing my psyche, and if it's changed my psyche, then I'm sure it's changed many other psyche. Uh, any petty puts this week? Uh, Torn. We need it. Oh, <laughs> people been waiting. People have been waiting. I requested. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Highly anticipated. This, Never this my heart, man. <laughs> All right. My my petty put of the week is uh, the Madison Square Garden Company, aka Madison Square Garden Sports Corp, with the ticker MSGS. This is an American sports and entertainment company. There's Don't nothing entertaining about losing. Nothing. <laughs> um, just to name a couple of teams that are. Uh, under this company, um, you have the New York Knicks. I got to start off by saying I love the Knicks. I love it. But 73 was the last year they got a chip. Disrespectful. 47 years, no chip. This, there's been babies years. born in 47 years that don't remember what it's like to be a winner. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, that, that's true. And that's sad. No, that's really sad. Oh, that. Yeah, the New York Rangers, 1994, the last time they got the Stanley Cup. Um, and they, you know, they sold off the New York Liberty um, last year in 2019. Um, thank God the Liberty probably have a better chance of winning now. But um, the Liberty has been around since 1997. They've been around since the WNBA Open. And in that time, zero championships. So, Fuck about it. Yeah, man. Disgusted. What they do to Spike, bro? So, I mean, so how do they make money right now? Because all I'm seeing is a clear pattern of losers. <laughs> I have no idea. But apparently in their 10K, if you comb through their 10K, um, one of their portfolio strategies is developing championship caliber teams. There's nothing championship caliber about losing. Nothing. Nothing. Hmm. None of the teams that I've named have won in the last decade. Hmm. So that so the investors got a class action lawsuit on their hands, huh? Sounds like fraud. Sounds so. like fraud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, because there's no entertainment going on right now. The Knicks are not playing, and even if the NBA was going on right now, be, right now it's the playoffs. They even the, yeah, even if the playoffs were happening, the Knicks wouldn't make it. So, 
It's tragic. Just tragedy. All jokes aside, though, they do have one thing that's going good for them. Um, they have a uh, a stake in a company called uh, Counter Logic Gaming. They they basically own it, but uh, it's a uh, esports team. They they focus on games like League of Legends and stuff like that. But uh, esports is probably going to be their breadwinner right now. But because they have so much invested in all these other teams, I can't see them generating revenue. So. That would be my petty put. Also, concerts are coming to a halt. So there's no gonna it's not gonna be any concerts held in Madison Square anytime soon. No, nah, you're not gonna see no Joel at the garden. No Billy Joel at the garden. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. It's, it's a wrap for that. I I think it's gonna be a while before we return to live entertainment. Um and I don't even know if live entertainment will look the same when we come back. But obviously, these like, like Rush said, you got to innovate, you know, during these times. And so innovate, we'll probably see some innovation from companies like Live Nation, which is probably why the, the, the Saudis ponied up, um, I think it was five, 500 million or 500 billion. I can't quite remember, but I know they put some decent amount of change um, into Live Nation because they probably believe, you know, in the next 10 years, this company will evolve and they'll find ways to get creative and delivering, you know, entertainment through a new form factor. Uh, we, we just saw a couple of weeks ago, Travis Scott perform a whole concert on a video game. Live Nation can get a cut of that uh, through their artists. So it's something to think about. Uh, that's reading, pretty much. I was reading two articles that's very interesting regarding entertainment. One was an article about driving concerts are booming in Denmark. The other one was the resurgence of drive-in movie theaters in Germany. Hmm. They got one out here I got to check out, bro. Interesting. I, I, never, I, never, I never knew that. So what do you do? You drive up to the stage? Like, uh, how does that work? <laughs> Yo, speaking of... A, you're parked in a certain area so you can see the concert play, but you really can't get outside your car because of COVID. Mm. Yes. What were you going to say, shit? No, nah, I was going to say, speaking of innovation, this uh, Portland, Oregon strip club, you know, adapting to social distancing, started sending the strippers out, you know what I'm saying, to do the food deliveries. <laughs> and they, you know, they're making bread. That's what I'm saying, bro. You put your back against so, the wall, you got to innovate, bro. So, wait, they're doing, like, DoorDash? And, um, yeah, bro, because the strip clubs are shut down. So, they started, you know, they got the workers, you know, the, the ladies that are in the Yo. club. <laughs> still got the kitchen and they sending them out on food runs and Wait charging a the premium and make sure you get a and make sure you leave a tip so, no. <laughs> so they pretty much converted their workforce <laughs> from providing adult entertainment to on-demand food delivery through platforms like uber eats nah yes, i you thought they, they had the girls delivering it though they had yeah. the yeah they got the girls delivering yeah it. so it's uber eats plus and then you can tip when they get there oh, yeah <laughs> That's Uber Eats Plus. Yo. That's Uber Eats <laughs> Premium. Yo, man, that, that might be why we're seeing some uh, quality, but they're probably seeing tip volume that they've never seen before in certain parts of the country. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's they crazy. Can. I never knew that. So you That's got your stimulus check, bro. You just <laughs> order something from the, from the strip club, you good. <laughs> that, that is innovation. <laughs> and that's one crazy loophole. To exploit, but it'd be interesting to see, you know, how many other businesses follow suit. No, that's what we have to do, though, bro. In all seriousness, that's natural law. Like, you have to evolve. 
Adapt or die. You you have to, bro. It's natural law. Like at what point in human development, like have we just not evolved? Right. You know what I'm saying? We have to evolve from this. That's very true. I mean, and, and if you com- don't, then you're just going to die. No, that's a fact. I mean, we, st- we saw a little bit of a spike, although I tend to believe irrational in companies like Blue Apron when things really started to pop off uh, here in the States and more people shifting to having on-demand food kits delivered to them. Um, this may be their moment. This may not be their moment. Um, I think the verdict is still out, but yeah, you're right. And die, meta- die metaphorically, not literally. I'm not like that harsh, but I'm yeah. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, but this is why I also say pizza. Look, as, as somebody else is on my watch, I forgot to mention it was Domino's Pizza, man. They continue to innovate, um, and I think since the 2008 recession. Uh, global economic uh, global financial crisis. I think they outperform Amazon on a percentage basis, right? So uh, pizza is something that is considered recession proof. So something else, you know, you could look at as a defensive stock. Uh, the ticket is DPZ. So yeah, they're also on my list. So yeah, DPZ and um, Beyond Meat. That's on my list, man. But so that's it for me. Up, uh, a pizza chain. You say that one more time. I said until Amazon buys nah, a pizza, pizza chain. Listen, man, <laughs> it's coming. Yo, if Bezos comes out with a fucking pizza, I don't put nothing past. I don't. I don't put anything past the guy. You know, he has a lot of power. He he walks around with you know fuck you money energy now. You know, he <laughs> been in the gym, right? You know what I'm saying? Getting his muscles right. Dude is just different. It's very different from the from the from the guy we saw driving his old car in in a, in the late nineties, you know, from his bookstore. The, just part, the evolution of Bezos is comparable to Drake. <laughs> Wait a minute! Wait a minute! <laughs> what? That doesn't even need explanation. Is spot on. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Well, yeah, we won't be that. We're going to leave that there and get out of here. You know, as always, you know, we're just here. We, are, we don't have anything to sell you at Training Places. We're just here to provide free game, conversation, and education. Investments and securities can definitely involve great risk. This podcast is strictly for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for financial advice. Please consult with a financial advisor before you purchase or sell any securities. And, always, and as always, do your own research and due diligence. And with that, we're out. Bow. Yes, Bow. <laughs> Look, dressed in fatigues, I rep the East with my trustees, smoking on crushed leaves, they turn it back on everything we built and they must bleed.